Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan. So it is Monday, February the 13th. Um, I've read on on uh, in, in several articles, although don't know how scientific the studies were, that today of all days is the least productive day of the year. Um, any guesses why? Well, I, I definitely feel that given that this is the day after the Super Bowl. And I feel like every year at this time, people start saying that, oh, this should be a national holiday. Why don't we just move President's Day up like one week? That would solve a whole lot of issues for a whole lot of people. But yeah, I believe that is the answer. That That is indeed. The Super Bowl hangover is, uh, is alive and well, it seems. But not unproductive for the boys at Gentlemen's Disagreement. Nah, nah, we, we persevere through. <laughs> what are we talking about this week? We get a couple of topics this week, and I, we're, I'm really intrigued to talk about this first one. We're going to talk about the Chinese spy balloon and all of the other aerial phenomena that have been going on over the past week. So that'll be the main topic of conversation. We're also going to touch on President Biden's State of the Union that he gave last week, and then briefly reflect on the terrible tragedy that's occurred, the earthquake in, in Turkey and Syria to, to wrap it up. Yeah, it's a full slate, just the two of us, but um looking forward to getting into it a little bit. Absolutely. And before we do get into it, a quick reminder to everybody out there that the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables in Destin, Boston since 2018. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Remember, that's Cannon with two N's, everybody. Uh, and Ricky, I figured this might be a- appropriate and not that I knew how you were going to open the show, but doubly so now. When a tree has had too much to drink, how do you know? Uh, it fell over. Oh, that's actually, that's a really good answer. Touche. Um, it won't stop trunk texting their axe. I thought that was funny. All right. Well, let's get into it. All right. So I I remember when you first, I mean, we, as we do, we send topics back and forth to each other. Um, like in the weeks leading up to whenever we get to record. And I got a text from you that was, it just said capital B balloons period. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I, I, I need to talk about this balloon saga. So why don't, why don't you give the people a preface and then we can, <laughs> I mean, cause I, yeah, I, I've, I'm feeling still woefully uninformed um, despite having read from a numerous from numerous sources, sort of what we think is going on. Well, I think everyone is feeling uninformed, and that's one of like the criticisms of the Biden administration right now is that so much has happened. So just a, a brief background on this is that last Tuesday, President Biden was informed that an unidentified object had entered U.S. airspace. It had been originally in a 
been seen over Idaho, and then it was seen in Montana. And allegedly, the Biden administration was just going to deal with it on their own and not alert people. But it got an observer in Montana, like saw the balloon and took a picture of it. And then it was published in like the Billings Gazette. And all of a sudden, it became national and then international news of what is this big object that's flying over the United States. Quickly, on Thursday, the Biden administration came out and said that they had identified this as a Chinese spy balloon. And of course, that ignited a whole another sequence of like fury and uh, all these out, outrage takes in, in the press from all corners. And then on Saturday, the Biden administration shot it down over the Atlantic Ocean after it had traversed, the balloon had traversed the entire United States and um, ended up over the Atlantic Ocean by South Carolina. So that all happened over the course of last week. And then just in the last two days, the United States has shot down three more UFOs, like unidentified aerial phenomena is what the government name is for those things. And we, again, we don't really know what they are. They've pretty much said that they are different from like the original Chinese spy balloon, but they shot down one over Alaska, one over Canada, which can't like um, Prime Minister Trudeau had reached out to the Biden administration saying that like we want the U.S. to come and shoot this down. Uh, so it was NORAD, which is like the North uh, America. It's the U.S. It's combined U.S. Canada force that protects the airspace like the joint airspace over to them i believe it's the first time norad's ever had to act to like shoot down in an object in space and then just yesterday morning like right before the super bowl it came out that we had shot down another one over lake huron in in michigan and it's it's i mean this is unprecedented and there's i just feel like there's so much to dive into here again i think it's fair as you said to not exactly know what to think but it's hard to say that this isn't a big story i don't like it i guess the question we can debate is like how important is the story but it's it's definitely a big story yeah i mean certainly in it's like novelty um there's yeah it's just something that you just don't 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 hear about every day i think it's um and right so our account is we've, we've shot down four four of these things in like in the past week after going you know several decades yeah. if not more without ever doing that i th- i mean I, there's there's definitely something to that it's it, i guess it, it it's one of those things that like begs the question is is this the first time that these kinds of things have happened or is this the first time that we've decided to like shoot something like this down Right. And I, I would argue it, it's probably the latter. It's almost assuredly the latter. And I, but I think what's been really interesting about this whole thing is, so the Biden administration, and this is like through Lloyd Austin, who's Secretary of Defense, like they had identified that the Chinese spy balloon was over Montana. And from their research on it, they determined that it wasn't like a national security threat or or even like a national intelligence threat serious enough to shoot it down with the potential of causing injury to people on the ground. You just don't know. It's so to be clear, like it's funny when I, when I first heard a balloon, I kind of like envisioned a hot air balloon, which I know were like big, but whatever. But then you find out it's like, it's got, it's like the size of three city buses that with all of these like technological like, equipment on them and on it. And so uh, I think my reaction was kind of like, all right, well, I, I, I trust 
the assessment of you know, Secretary of Defense Austin and all like our military, and if they if they're telling me that it's not a security threat, it's not a national intelligence threat, then I would not want to put civilians at risk from debris falling forty thousand feet from the sky. And so I kind of thought it was a good call, but it was definitely like embarrassing. There's no way that it's it's not embarrassing. Like when you have a foreign country of you know a budding world superpower who's constantly been pushing the United States in a lot of different areas, and now is flying allegedly uh, a military uh, you know, balloon over our airspace. That's embarrassing. And so then, of course, you get a lot of reactions from some of the typical corners with Republicans, but also I think a lot of people across the spectrum were like, we should have shot that down immediately. And so the Biden administration then is facing this huge backlash about like how they're not protecting our airspace and they're weak on China, yada, yada, yada. And now it's we're shooting down anything that comes through. Um, and so, it, it, yeah, but I think what it's, there's just so many layers to it, Ricky, because even like these other three things, we they haven't identified what they are. And they, they did a the uh, the national security spokesman came out and did a press conference uh, yesterday, Sunday morning. And they were like, well, would you rule out like aliens here? And he was like, I'm not ruling out anything, which I appreciate, but it just like lends itself to more speculation. And like, because they've been so classified, which again, I understand the need to have classified materials around issues of, you know, national military, security, intelligence, whatever. But it just it leads to speculation. And this is one of people's favorite areas to speculate on are UFOs. <laughs> it's it's it it they sure are. I think I think it's um like I don't know, the Chinese reaction was that it was uh civilian something which like especially given the size of it just sounds like absurd but that you know that in, in recent weeks they have evidence of u.s things in chinese airspace and we, like this happens all the time and we just don't shoot each other's stuff down and which is you know you can you can take it or leave it though the one actually the one i thought was more interesting was the the I, yeah what are we calling them not UFO, UA, what UAF? I don't know. Identified aerial phenomena. Exactly. I think it's oh, oh UAP. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite yeah, as easily. No. <laughs> Not quite as well. The one shot down over Canada because I I remember seeing the press conference and Trudeau was like, "Yes, we came out and we were like, we gave the order to have the U.S. shoot it down." To me, that just smells like we're out there shooting stuff down. It happened to be over Canadian airspace. We had to go apologize and then. They had to be like, all right, well, we had to say that we we were the ones in control of our own airspace because I can't imagine that the Canadian Royal Air Force or whatever it is doesn't have enough firepower to take down this one of these things that is just like kind of floating around with, with no def- like I can't imagine they would have need to have called in a special special request from the U.S. military to go shoot that one down. <laughs> yeah, maybe not a great look for any anybody there. Uh, but I do think the Chinese reaction was interesting. Like you said, originally they had said that it was just like this civilian meteorological balloon that had gone blown way off course. And then they were like, well, sometimes companies here in China like have balloons like that. And then, as you said, just this morning, they came out with, well, the United States has been doing that too. You know, and, and so it, uh, and it's, it's definitely in like the less haha funny UFOs type conversation, it's heightened what was already a very tense relationship between the United States and China. And it has grown more tense over the past couple of years, I think for a lot of really understandable reasons, whether it was the 
opposite approaches to handling COVID or even like where COVID originated from. And some, I think, really legitimate criticisms that the United States and the world had with how China handled that originally um, to, to the United for the United States conflict with Russia and how China is involved with that. And so like, there's a lot of the, the to exercise in the South China Sea to the China there, the way they've taken over Hong Kong in a lot of ways and threatened Taiwan. So there's a, it's, it's, a, it's already, the relationship was already on a tight rope and secretary of state, Anthony Blinken was planning on meeting with um, president Xi Jinping last week, to, literally the day be, until the day before this balloon was discovered. So it, I think China is also trying to walk that tightrope where their message, I think, was probably a little more conciliatory than it otherwise might have been. It wasn't quite as nationalistic of like, yeah, but it seems there as their messaging evolves, it seems a little bit more gearing, like heading towards that direction. And that's obviously not a good thing either. Yeah, I do. I do find that like as sort of the propaganda propagandist aspect of or like how do we message these things back to our own people interesting i think you know one of the undercurrents has been like well you know the timing of when he shot this balloon down was like very interesting given the state of the union address and like all this other stuff that like um that how decisions like this are or and how how the decisions like this are made, but then also like how we package the news to be then be sort of reframed um, in terms of like yeah are we pushing forward this tough on China agenda sure and here's our evidence we shot down this balloon kind of thing and similar like China has the same kind of thing like are we backing down to the United States no like they do this and we're yeah so I I think that that facet of it is interest interesting. I do think then you add into this additional layer. Well, now it just seems like it's open season on anything, anything flying above like 30,000 feet. And that's like, uh, sound is again, like sounds funny. Hopefully it's just, you know, it, it is just that or, or nothing that we really need to be worried about at this time. Yeah, two things there I want to pick up on. First is that there are there's so little room for like bipartisanship in Washington these days. But one of the things that there is room for is like tough on China. I think that's even even more than like tough on Russia these days. Tough on China is a position that plays. And the House has a new select committee on China. It's a bipartisan 24 member committee. It's led by uh, Mike Gallagher who's represented from Wisconsin and the ranking member is uh, Raja Krishnamurthy, um, who is a Democrat from Illinois and their hearings are going to start. They were, this committee was already planned given that there's been increases in interest, I guess, and like Chinese spying. And so obviously I think most people have heard of TikTok, which is made by a Chinese company. And there's been lots of arguments, rumors that it's mining Americans data to potentially compromise security interests across the United States. Recently, the Congress passed a bill that banned TikTok on government phones. There's pushes in, to go further and ban it on in all like United States Americans' phones. And so like there's already been increased awareness and interest in Chinese spying. And now it's like you they've given us like exhibit A of like they're actually doing it. And so I think that that's I, I do think that's going to be a, a really big push where people can come together and be like, look, there is room for bipartisan agreement. Here it is to be really tough on China. And I don't necessarily disagree with that because I think 
there in some ways we need to be tougher on China than previous administrations have, but it's unquestionably dangerous to to push too hard on that, particularly when we're already in, in, in at least some level in a conflict with one of the other big powers of the world in Russia. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, the, like the notion of, well, here's the evidence that China is spying on us in these, in the form of this massive balloon is, I guess in, from the one hand it's like visceral and it's tangible and it's something you can really point to but on the other hand it's like it's obvious almost like and we're constantly trying to figure out different ways that you know there may be some Chinese sort of spying on uh whatever Chinese Americans as well as like you know Chinese residents living in in the U.S. whether they're going to school or whatever I think that sort of stuff I don't I don't know I mean like obviously we're doing that too we're everywhere all the time as well right so it's like to to what degree and that that's kind of been a tacit like or an ex- implicit understanding of foreign relations like just whether you're adversarial or like even even amongst your uh even amongst your allies like there is this degree of which this is how we operate with CIA and other intelligence agencies. Like we're doing this and we know that other countries are doing this too. So to be like, aha, we gotcha. It's like, okay, obviously. Yeah. I, that's a, re- that's a really uh, fair point. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's really good. And you, uh, you always do a good job of being like, well, we're doing the same things here. And that's why I think this, this incident was embarrassing for both countries because it's embarrassing for the United States that we're theoretically just allowing other countries to like, fly balloons over our land with either saying that we didn't know it or if we do know it and we're not doing anything about it. Like, I don't know which one is worse in that case, but it's also embarrassing for China because like you're, you're caught and it's not even like some sophisticated scheme, you know, it's like they're flying a balloon over here and they're like, they're caught red handed with it. So yeah, I do think it's embarrassing, but to be serious about like, we're laughing about it, but embarrassing moments often lead to bad reactions because when people are embarrassed, People are a little more emotional, a little more on edge. And so you kind of hope in that sense, cooler heads prevail. And I will say, like, there's obviously been just a ton more interest in UFOs lately because I think it was in 2021, the government released a report about detailing, I think there were like 144 incidents that were documented from 2004 to 2019. And most of them were documented by U.S. military, which makes sense because those are the people that are up in that space the most. And most of them were unexplained. And so I think there is, of course, again, it's one of those human fascinations of like, are is are these like alien aircraft? Is it just, is it government aircraft that are spying or is it just like people or individuals who are out there like doing things? And that that's what we're kind of encountering too, but we don't, we don't know. And that's why I think, again, hopefully the Biden administration, like will keep coming out with more information about this because the longer you just let it, let people speculate, then I think you have we unfortunately know how conspiracies get going here in the United States. And we, I don't think we need to allow them more room to breathe. Yeah, no, I mean, the more inter, yeah, the quicker, I mean, but the problem, I feel like the problem is like whatever information is published. I mean, right now there's, there's clearly not enough, but whatever is published, 
they're going to be the conspiracy theories off of that as well. Or like, you know, they're holding off these key pieces of whatever. And yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 w- I, w- I feel like at some point those types of situations are end up being no win, especially once you didn't get ahead of it. And it's like, it's almost like too late. I will say that I think this tough on China approach, like there's, I mean, and obviously you know, some, some of this merits like a much longer discussion and some of this we have covered in, 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 in other episodes, but I think there is, it feels to me, it's always like, it's always worth mentioning that like China is, you know, the world's largest like manufacturer right now. I think, I don't know, something like a third, maybe not quite a third, but like probably North of 25% of the world's like manufactured goods come out of China at some point. Right. So we have, I, we have been able to like produce our way out of a large produce our way out of like a number of different types of challenges through partnerships with global partners, including China. And so there is like there, while we continue to have this like antagonistic antagonistic relationship, I think it's always interesting that people are like, you know, they're, upset about inflation and then also they want to like pull like pull everything out of china and build everything at home and it's like part these things are not you can't tackle one without the other like a large reason that we've been able to have such ridiculous growth without any real inflationary pressures over the past like two decades has been because we basically outsource things to places where they're made more cheaply, which means that we can get the same goods for the same price or less than we have been in the future, right? Like that's how our economy in part has been able to grow in the way that it has. And like, I feel like there's always this, well, you know, China is stealing our technology and they're doing like, there are certainly very real problems with our relationship with China, but this, I don't know. I always get uneasy with this, like, you know, well, we have to be like tough on them. And I don't really know what that means. And I'm not entirely sure people do either. And I'm not entirely sure people know, like, what some of the solutions that we propose, what they're actually going to do to everybody's pocketbook. And if that is truly like, how we, you know, how we feel about to be tough on China, I'm willing to pay 10% more on average on all the things that I buy. Like, is that a reality? I don't know. Yeah, I think those are really good questions that you're right, probably do merit a longer conversation that, you know, hopefully we can have at some point. I, I will say, Ricky, that the House passed a measure condemning China for flying their balloon over was 419 to zero. And of course, on the one hand, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nothing measure, right? It's, but it, it condemns it. But I do, it comes back to something you said to me before that whenever everyone is on the same page about something, maybe you should step back and worry that you know, we're, where something might be amiss or something. It might not be like as, as simple as it all seems on the surface. Definitely. Or, or even just that, like, even if we're on in the right direction, if people aren't questioning at every step, there's always that tendency to like, let's just charge forward. And then we find out that we were, you know, missing something crucial at, at some stage or another. I think that's a really fair point. I will say that we're probably going to see more of these because I was reading some report and people were like, as you said, like this is, it has never happened before. And now we have four objects in eight days. Like what's going on? They pretty much said that there's just like natural filters that are applied to like what comes into United States airspace because 
there are lots of things and you can't like be looking at every single one. And so given the embarrassment over the, like the recent balloon incident that they've kind of taken off a lot of those filters. So like more and more things are just coming to people's radars, which like, as you point out from the top has probably been happening for years without any issues. But now again, given the criticism the Biden administration got, they're airing more on the side of let's take them down, which I totally understand from their perspective. But what you're going to get is more and more of these and people who maybe are not tuned in. And I think most people won't be tuned in to like the nuances are kind of going to be like, well, what the heck is going on all of a sudden? Yeah, that that's actually something, an aspect of it that I hadn't really thought about, but it's like, but it has to obviously be true that there's some kind of a, I don't know whether it's a size or some, yeah, exactly. Some kind of filter that basically says, worry about this or don't worry about this. And then you make it more sensitive because all of a sudden, it, you know, some people pointed out that you missed something and now all, it's going off at, at all times, which also, you know, can be concerning. Like in all the, like the Ocean's Eleven type movies, like you got two ways to get by an alarm. You either... You either don't trigger it or you set it off a million times and then and then it becomes useless. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's something to we'll, we'll definitely keep keeping an eye on it. I do think this is it's just such a fascinating story because there are aspects that are so funny about it. And there are so many things that are intriguing about it. And then there's also some like really serious aspect to it. So in some ways, this has it all. And I'm, I'm sure it'll continue to capture the headline. It's full funny, Ricky. And like in our news media, where like things just come and go. This feels like it might have some staying power. Like finally, like this is the story. Yeah. yeah. Everyone loves a good UFO, as you yeah, said. Of course. So last week, President Biden gave his annual State of the Union address. And Ricky, I am very curious what you thought of it. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't, I imagine that um, over the course of these, or uh, of us doing the podcast, we always review the State of the Union address. And I, and I have to imagine that I start everyone off by saying that I hate the State of the Union address. I think it's just this like ridiculous, um, like pomp and circumstance doesn't apply any better than it does to this show i mean you know there it's just one side is waiting for opportunities to jump up and clap and pat themselves on the back and then the other side has got to sit there and scowl and um occasionally they'll find a few things that you know that they can like agree to clap about together but for the most part it's it is this like it's so um i guess it's almost become like so blatantly partisan that to me there's no there's no point to it anymore like i i um yeah i think i i i don't remember the last time that i saw one that i was like wow i feel like i either learned something or um i have a better understanding of like what we need to accomplish this next year this next term it's the like the cherry picking of facts by the party in power and the even like the sprinkling in of these statistics that don't mean anything like i'll like start with one like biden says you know we've created i don't want to say 12 million jobs 14 i forget exactly what number he said most jobs in in the history for any single president and it's like okay yes uh, I'm sure statistically that that might be true. Obviously, 
coming on the heels of a pandemic when we had 15% unemployment. And it was like kind of real, but not real unemployment because it wasn't really, it was like factors exogenous to the market that were driving this unemployment rate. Then we pumped a bunch of money into the economy. It's like, you can't really take credit for that in the same way uh, that like, that, you know, there was something that you specifically did that created this. And obviously you have to, because that's sort of like the political game that everyone plays, like wants to take credit for things they didn't do and wants to deflect blames from other things that they feel like they shouldn't have to take responsibility for. But it's just, I don't know. I felt like the whole thing was like that. And then some of the recaps even of the, of the state of the union, like, you know, they were getting very upset with, uh, with, with your favorite Congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, just screaming out in the, in the, in the background pews. I mean, I thought the whole thing was just, just kind of ridiculous. And honestly, it's, yeah, for me, it's just sad. <laughs> oh, cynical Ricky. I want to top five Ricky. I, uh, well, I, well, I was really curious to hear your opinion because obviously I watched it too. And I have my own opinions, but then I was watching it on ABC and they had Donna Brazil, who's the former head of the Democratic National Committee on and Chris Christie, who former governor of New Jersey or Republican governor of New Jersey and also in the Trump administration. And they had them on a split screen and I got, you know, Donna, what did you think of it? And she's like, Oh my goodness. I've never heard president Biden speak so well. He, he proved to the, all the American people that he, he and his administration are, are doing a historic job and that he is so ready to run again and give the American people four more years of his excellent leadership. And then Chris Christie, that right, Chris, what do you think? And he's like, that was the worst speech I've ever heard. <laughs> he's like, that guy can't say anything, right? And he's living in fantasy land. It's an embarrassment. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, like, like this is the kind of analysis we're giving here. And I think, Ricky, that I mean, this is exactly why years ago that I reached out to you to try to start this podcast. Because like, there's just, no one, no one is being like, you can't, be honest like you can't honestly have thought that was the best speech you ever heard or the worst speech you ever heard like so i will give some of my thoughts on the speech itself actually before i do that i want to just to to, i'll I'll just because you pretty much just talked about the state of the union as a whole as an institution so this is in the constitution it says it's uh it's like part of the executive office so article two says that um, quote he shall from time to time give congress information of the state of the union that's all it says. And so President Washington started off by giving a speech every year to Congress, essentially updating them on like what the executive branch had been doing, yada, yada. And then Thomas Jefferson, Adams continued it. And then Jefferson didn't like it because he felt it was like too monarchical. So he delivered a written report from 1801 to 1913. And then Woodrow Wilson brought the speech back in 1913. But this is something that like, I think every administration has come in and been like, oh, we can change it. Because again, there's nothing in the constitution that requires this type of speech. But presidents love it. It's like you, the, the eyeballs, even if viewership was down this year compared to last year, it's it's still one of the most viewed events. You have not only the joint session of Congress there, but you have many Supreme Court justices. There were previous Supreme Court justices there this year, which I thought was uh, was different, kind of cool. You have the military, everyone gets to invite guests. So it's a whole thing. You might not like the pomp and circumstance. I think that's fair, but I do generally like it. So here, here are some of, of my thoughts. This was These are my running notes, Ricky. And so I'll, I'll just go on all of my thoughts and then you can pick up, comment on whatever you want to. 
So first, I thought he started off really nicely. Like he highlighted leaders across both parties. So for example, he highlighted Speaker McCarthy, who was obviously newly, you know, the new speaker there. He also highlighted the outgoing speaker. He said, uh, Nancy Pelosi called her what he says he, he thinks is going to go down as the greatest speaker in, in the history of the House. And he highlighted uh, Mitch McConnell, who was the longest serving um, Senate leader in the House, highlighted Chuck Schumer, highlighted uh, Vice President Harris. So I thought that was like a really nice start in terms of like bipartisanship. Didn't last, but I did appreciate the start. Um, it's no surprise. President Speaker, President Biden is not a good speaker. Like he, like, he tried to ad lib a few times, Ricky. I don't even know if you got like when he was trying to talk about the Super Bowl coming up. And then I was, I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, please, like, I, you can, yeah. Uh, it's like I got my head in my hands. I was like, this is, I have secondhand embarrassment. I'm watching him on television. I'm like, please don't ad lib here. Um, but what I, so to get into the substance of it is that he, he pitched a lot of, this is kind of goes off our previous conversation about China, which is, you know, with the Inflation Reduction Act mandated that, and even to some extent, like the CHIPS Act or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, they're all, they have a common through lead of made in America. And that's what's hot in the street these days. But it's, it's unquestionably like nativist, right? And it's what I would, what I noted to myself, I was like, the, the tone is different than President Trump, but the message isn't. And like Biden said a couple of times, he's like, oh, I'm not I'm going to be criticized for this. But I want to be clear that like the supply chain starts in the United States. Right. And uh, this is we, we I'm going to get criticized for this, but we are going to buy American. And this is the moment where you get bipartisan applause. You know, you have Harris standing up and applauding and you have McCarthy standing up and applauding. Right. And it's I just thought it was interesting, like how much we we talked about this for all Trump's many flaws and how dangerous he became that like he really did change the narrative because that was not the narrative six years ago but now this is whether you're republican or a democrat made in america is really gonna it's gonna get the people out of their seats um he got then like he lost the bipartisanship where he started antagonizing the republicans a little bit where there have been some ideas whether it was like senator rich rick scott or um, some of like the the far right like the Freedom Caucus ideas of taking on some of the key entitlements like Social Security and Medicare. And now you have the Republicans like screaming out, like yelling at him. And now he's like bantering back and forth with them. And I was just like this. Uh, no one no one looks good here. I, I don't know. Like, of course, like the Biden team is going to be like, look at him. I think Schumer said that he rope a dope the Republicans and like back them into a corner. And I was like, did he? And then the Republicans were like, well, we're not going to let him just like we're not going to let him lie up there. It's like a little can we have like a little decorum here? Um, so I didn't think that looked good for anyone. What I did think was interesting, he, he had a good line, though, I did like. And he said, uh, one of my former high school coaches used to say, lots of luck in your senior year, <laughs> and, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, he, I thought the attack on Big Pharma was was really interesting. And he did it on the heels of touting how quickly we were able to come out of COVID because of like all of the vaccines that we that we were able to produce like here in the United States. And but this got like bipartisan support too of you know, let's let's rein in big pharma and have like lower amounts of time that they can keep their patents so you can lower you can get um, more generic drugs onto the market which lowers the cost of prescription drugs like insulin and it's it's one of those messages that plays really well like kind of like on the surface like who, no one likes that we that people in the United States have to pay three times as much for insulin as people in Europe do. But Europe, I think just recently, they like the United States, I think, spends like twenty five billion dollars like more than 
than Europe, than the EU on like development of like research and development. And it's, well, why do you think the vast majority of like scientific breakthroughs happen here in the United States? So like the COVID vaccines happen here in the United States. So it was one of those things where I don't disagree that there is reasons to attack big pharma, but that's, it's just interesting to me that it's become such like a, a bipartisan issue where everyone can get on board with attacking big pharma. It's like, huh. Um, I thought the, just a couple more things that the Tyree Nichols moment was, was really great and really beautiful to have um, his parents there and, and for you know his mom to have said to Biden, apparently, like, I just hope something good happens from this. And I, I don't know. I mean, in some ways it's, I'm not holding out high hopes for, bipartisan police reform or legislation coming out of this Congress. But it's hard to think that like when you have, you know, his mother saying something like that in person, that it doesn't motivate you to try to get something done. And then finally the stuff about like stopping fentanyl at the border and then someone calling out one of the Republicans rudely calling out, like it's your fault. I was like, this is some really interesting contentions too. So those are my thoughts on Biden's speech. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is, the newly elected governor of Arkansas, daughter of former governor uh, Mike Huckabee, also a previous uh, the, the spokeswoman for the Trump administration. She gave a very different speech. I don't know if you watched that at all, but uh, my notes on my first note on that was wow. But of course, the, the rea- reactions to her were diametrically opposed with the people on the right being like, yes, this is a common sense American speech and other people being like, she's a dangerous, unhinged radical. So I don't know. Those are all of my thoughts on everything on Save the Union Night, Ricky. No, I definitely didn't. I'll start where you ended. I 1000% did not listen to her, um, <laughs> to her like rebuttal speech. She was interesting as the, uh, uh the like the sorry what what's the title what was her title under trump the press um press secretary i think press secretary. um that like yeah i mean i i used to admire her uh like ability to sort of dance around um <laughs> dance around some of the things that he would say and try and like walk them back and stuff like that but i'm yeah uh i'll just leave that there uh, on on in terms of some of the the things that you highlighted i think for me, like if we start with the pharma piece, it was emblematic of the problem that Biden has as a quote unquote moderate. I think for him, moderate does not actually mean like middle of the road. It means in some way, like trying to appease all different parts of the Democratic Party at the same time, which is the is like the almost impossible because while there is some there are obviously some threads that connect in like so many different ways depending on who you're talking to the the factions of the democratic party are diametrically opposed right and so the big pharma one was really uh was really interesting because he's like and then we kept these insulin rates at 35 dollars, and then but don't worry folks don't worry big pharma is gonna make money too like it's like at the uh, one time like we gave it to them but also like don't worry they still have money <laughs> like you know my donors in big pharma like don't worry you, you could still be rich but like my my progressives like don't worry we we stuck it to them and it's like <laughs> what are we doing and there were a couple other instances of that, of that like he was um, oh, talking about like the the um, the oil production and how like you know oil, big oil made 
five or four hundred billion dollars in gross profit during the first part of the 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 invasion of uh, of Ukraine by Russia, and that like, um, and that you know it's because they and then they didn't increase domestic production, and so like, and half of him is like, I don't actually say that I really want to increase the production because of climate change, but I also don't want to say that I didn't want to increase production because of the oil price. And then like he says something like, oh, we're going to need oil for 10 years and everybody laughs at him. Um, well, because that, that that's a, I'm so glad you brought that. That's a prime example because people on the left were furious that he acknowledged that we're going to need oil for 10 years. And people on the right were furious that he said, we're only, need, only going to need oil for 10 more years. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And so th- that, I mean, that in and of itself to me is like, is his biggest problem in this administration is that like he is really trying to figure out how to please everybody all the time. And to me, that's not like, and it's, it's almost because this notion of compromise, like just doesn't fly anymore. It's like, people are very, they're actually like anti-compromise. If you give somebody else an inch you gave them an inch more than you should have ever given them. And it was actually a failure regardless of what you achieved for your, for your own end. And so instead it's like almost trying to treat these things that are clearly all intertwined as if they're separate things that we can release, you know, a portion of the, of the national oil reserves. And then we can do this other thing on climate change separately as if there isn't this like, this tension between the two and and I can get my applause on each piece and then move on as if, as if that like doing that is a sensible way to kind of like govern, like to like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I had so many instances where I was like, I just watching him clearly, like I'm saying this for these people to hear me say that I did this thing that they asked me to do. And then within like half a second telling a group of people who are almost exactly opposed to what he did for the first group of people that he did this other thing that the first group of people are opposed to. And he did that too. And it's just, I don't know. There's, there's so much of that, that I was like, I don't know what this tells people in terms of the state of the union. Like, are we really making progress on climate change? Like are, are we really more secure? Is our economy in a better footing? Like, can we really, you know, divorce ourselves from these global supply chains? Like, is any of that, are we just in a fantasy land? Like what's is going anyone on? listening? <laughs> it's like the Billy Madison line. Yeah, right? yeah so, exactly. Why are there no war socks? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think those are all fair points. So you can we'll we'll close with how we opened with you being like, ah, nonsense. Throw my hands up in disgust. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the part the parting thought, which I think was that in many ways or whatever he said, like the job's not done or we got to finish the thing as as his, as the prelude to like I'll be I'll be here and running in in twenty twenty four. Not that it's unexpected but perhaps the most um uh like the yeah tangible this is the word i'm using today uh thing to point to to say that he is going to run in 2024 which i think is a is a pretty big deal given his age um 
and just kind of a number of other things that I think are challenges for him that like, sure, he was this calming presence, but in terms of his own direction, I think he's always struggled with that. Um, and so he's, he try he, he's very adept at kind of adopting other people's positions, but now he's getting to a point where he's like got too many, too many like voices or too many sort of people to please. Um, and I think that is going to be an issue for him and for his ticket in 2024. Definitely. All right. We'll leave it there. So we wanted to briefly discuss the terrible, tragic earthquake that struck Syria and Turkey a week ago today. We don't have, there's not a whole lot to say about it, but we would be remiss not covering it. Uh, the death toll has risen to over 37,000 people total. Turkey is approaching 32,000. Syria is approaching 6,000. It is the sixth biggest natural disaster uh, of the century. And the, the magnitude of the disaster is, is hard. I think whenever you get this level of death and destruction, it's it's hard to wrap your head around. Ricky, I went back and looked at the death toll from Katrina, because rightly or wrongly, I tend to think of Katrina, at least in our lifetimes, as like the number one natural disaster. If, when I look back and being like, well, what, how much like havoc Mother Nature can, can wreak on people. Um, and the death toll for that was... 1,392 people. Terrible tragedy. And we're looking at 37,000 and counting. It's Turkey in this area of, of the world has a history of earthquakes. Unfortunately, like now, obviously, now that I've like looked into it a little bit more, there was a huge earthquake in 1999 that killed over 17,000 people. Uh, this surpassed their biggest earthquake in, in modern times. Um, where I think they had a big one back in uh, 1930, 1939, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's devastating. And I, Ricky, unfortunately, it seems like when you look at the worst disasters in modern history, it's oftentimes the places in the world that can least afford these type of disasters. And so what we're talking about, like the the tsunami in the Indian Ocean that wrecked uh so many countries, the Philippines, Thailand, India, Indonesia, like, um, and then you talk about like the, the earthquake in Haiti back in 2010 that killed several hundred, I think over 300,000 people. It's like, we look at Turkey and Syria. So Syria has been, has been at war with is a civil war for a decade. ISIS has been there. Turkey has been dealing with fighting and refugee crises for that same period of time, even longer given the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and now to to deal with something like this is just terribly tragic. Yeah, I, I don't think there there's really much more to say than than what you said. That these and and you know, with particular attention to the point of these things often happen to those who can sort of least afford them or, or at least equipped to to sort of deal with them. Um is is I think, yes, something we we especially in the United States have to uh, think about because um, in, for some, res- in some respect, um, these are, these are some of the moments I think that the United States always 
steps up in terms of relief efforts and things like that. And um, I think at, in, in this episode, we'll, we'll try and link a few places um, that if, if folks are interested, they can look to donate. I know the Red Cross and Red Crescent organizations um, do a lot uh, to try and get sort of immediate relief to some, some people. Um, and there are probably some other organizations that we can, that we can try to highlight the, the, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's incredible. I know, uh, not, not that necessarily this is a moment for, to like focus on blame and things like that. But I think one of the things that you pointed out was, you know, where Turkey is geographically and where sort of those fault lines that, um, effectively cause these hurt uh, cause these earthquakes are um does lead you to believe that that there's probably more that they need to do with their building codes and i think they're currently like uh investigating general contractors and things like that but it's clearly you know a lot of the times that we look at red tape here in the united states and different regulations that maybe slow down development and slow down um business um a lot of it can be for these sort of, you know, once in a hundred year occurrences, but when they happen, um, you know, you have to be really thankful that we here in the United States have a lot of both local and federal protections for these things. And we can trust in kind of the engineering behind a lot of our, um, yeah, behind a lot of our infrastructure and it, you know, when you don't notice it or when it can kind of go unnoticed, it's like, you know, why do we have all these things? But then in moments like these, you do really appreciate um, that. I'm not, yeah, certainly not to say it's all good, but there is clearly a need for, for some of that. <clears throat> yeah. Th- these are examples of, you don't, you don't notice it until it, it fails. Right. It's, I mean, the, the Spike Lee documentary when the lead eyes broke, right. The levees broke, however you want to say that where it's uh you know, it's people kind of knew that it existed, but it, it was going to be the whole investment to do it. And now when thousands, a thousand people die, now it's too late. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing to a different extent. You made the point about what like our, our energy infrastructure and we had that disaster in Texas where like no one, no one cares about the energy grid until all of a sudden people don't have electricity. And you're, you're right. It's not that's this shouldn't necessarily be the main focus, but it is a focus. And um, Erdogan, who's the, the leader of Turkey, he, he and his uh, his party and like followers swept into power on the heels of that 1999 earthquake where there was a lot of anger about the like, corruption in the previous administration. It seems like there's maybe there, this administration has also fallen victim to some of that corruption. And as you said, they've detained a lot of the contractors that built these homes that, you know, unfortunately maybe some, if not many of these deaths could have been preventable, but the more important point is you, pointed out is that they need aid and I'm sure the international community will come together, but I know Turkey is looking at 84 plus billion dollars in damages, 5 million people without homes right now. It's just a staggering amount. And there's the rescue efforts are ongoing. People are still like I read today that there was like a 13 year old boy and a 12 year old girl that were pulled out separately a week later, which is remarkable. So of course, as, as you pointed out, we'll, we'll try to highlight some organizations that you know if you give their, their money to it will go to the to the right place and if you can afford to to donate them I'm, I'm sure um it would it would go to good use definitely yeah uh well another week another app in the books another episode um good to see you as always bunny always we got a fun one coming next week so uh look forward to that
Cheers. Cheers. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's hands and folks of different minds because even though we did not share the pains we share that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz need an early morning buzz learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The values sometimes Being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head and folks of different minds because though we didn't share opinions we share loud American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning bus I need an early morning bus there's hope behind the bluster cause though Main Street may not sell Full of folks just like you and me. When we have trouble seeing the human for the politics, it's trying to find a better way to disagree. Some days you win, some days you leave your ego through. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find and chase the lion's head. Folks of different minds Because though we did not share Opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz What I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find In a case of lion's head Folks of different minds Because though we did not Share opinions we share on that American ideal Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.